Happy Pair podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot. Use the code Happy Pair twenty to get twenty percent off for the month of December. Welcome to the Happy Pair podcast. We are so grateful that you pressed on this. We genuinely are. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve. And we're identical twins. And the Happy Pair podcast is about making your life better. I know that sounds really big and uh, nebulous, but it really is. It's about getting to eat more veg, spend more time outside, have more fun and more joy in your life. And we endeavor to inspire you today. Endeavor. Good work, Dave. Thanks. Uh, Well, on the topic of spend more time outside, uh, today's guest is remarkable in terms of this. Today, Ginny Yurik, she is the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, a movement and initiative aimed at encouraging children and families to spend more time outside. She talks about her her story of how she was struggling as a parent and spent so little time outside and talks about her journey, how she went from that to be this huge advocate for everyone to spend a thousand hours outside. Yeah, she's got five million downloads of her podcast. Her it genuinely is a global movement. She's got, you know, more than half a million followers on Instagram and it really is a very relatable story. She's a mother of five children and a new author of an incredible book. She's got an incredible book out called Until the Streetlights Go On. It really is. It's only out two weeks and it is all the science and the data of the importance of play and spending more time outside. Yeah, I loved the bit about unstructured play which is a small distinction and unstructured play outside and how better it is for our cognition so many other facets and this is an episode whether you've got kids or whether you're an adult whether you don't have kids because this is essentially about play and the importance of spending time outside because like we live in a society nowadays that's so tech focused it's so screen focused and outside nature heals us and spending out time in an unstructured way really does something wonderful for our nervous system. I think this one, just to put this one into practice, we really encourage you to, well, you might be driving your car, but if you can, put your headphones in and go for a walk while listening to this and spend some time outside. You will be grateful that you did. Speaking of putting things into practice, we gave up alcohol 20 years ago just for two weeks just to see what the change was and it had a massive positive catalyst in our lives. This January, the start of January, we're we're running our alcohol-free challenge again. It's four weeks to support you to give up alcohol and to see the actual benefits which emerge, connecting with your more authentic self. It's not even to give it up, it's to take a break and to experience how it affects you. Because alcohol, many people are mid-lane drinkers and don't realise how alcohol can just be an anchor that's holding you back. And by taking a small little break gives that opportunity to reflect and just to see, wow, so that's our alcohol-free challenge starting at the start of January. Full details are on our website or in the show notes of this podcast. Um, okay, well, we've got to jump off. The place I'd love to jump off, um, Ginny, because it's so relatable, is we have to cover, jump straight in there, and I know you've probably done this once, at least once before. <laughs> at least is, once, I think a few more than once. If, <laughs> once million times, is your journey to 10,000 hours. Because it wasn't like, like you aren't a natural, like you didn't grow up being, like going on massive hikes, and you didn't grow up like being homeschooled in the outdoors, and like you weren't, you're, Captain Fantastic was not your father. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I grew up like playing piano and reading books. And, and you're and you're you very you're, you're very good at piano, by the way. You're really really good at piano. Like I saw some of your videos, and it's yeah. like Ginny, you you good. Thank you. Oh, that's what I grew up doing. But I also did play outside quite a bit just because that was woven into how society functioned. But nobody really talked about it. You know, we had a recess and walked to school and played outside in the afternoon. But nobody was talking about it. And when I became a mom, wow, did I struggle. Wow. But I was not expecting to struggle. I was expecting to sail through it and to be amazing. And I had this plan and how are we going to structure the day? And I just fell flat on my face. From day one, I struggled. I struggled to make it through the day. I struggled to make it through the night. I struggled with the relentlessness of small children. 
I was not expecting it to be as hard as it was. And I spent several years in this place of being a mother where I was really in a dark spot. I did not enjoy it. And I loved my kids, but I did not enjoy being a mom. And I would have these days every day, every day where everyone's crying and I'm just failing, failing constantly. No one's happy. And I don't know how to fill the time. So I would take our kids and we would go do these different programs. So I talk in the book about like the library program, which is so much effort. It's so much effort. It sounds so silly, but to get your young children out of the house with their extra diapers and their extra clothes, and they all have different kinds of snacks, and you have to have the library bag, and you have to have the stroller, and everyone's in those little bucket carriers, and you have to buckle everyone in, and they're all crying, and you get to the library, and you have to try and get them through the parking lot safely into the room, and no one wants to be there, and they're fighting over the toys, and you know, heaven forbid you have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Of course you do. No, And and then as soon as you come back from when the next one's to go, and you're like, oh my God! Yes. And I just remember like it would be 11 a.m. in the morning and I would be toast, toast. I'm I'm just done. I, I've used up everything I have in me. And yet I still have so much of the day left and tomorrow is going to be the same. <laughs> so I was in a spot of, of desperation and really mourning how the early childhood years were going. And then my life changed in one day. One day completely changed. I had a friend at another program that I was going to called MOPS, which is a program where moms come and there's usually some childcare and you have a table and you and you make some friends. It's called MomCo now. But a friend of mine came and told me that there was this woman who said that uh, her name is Charlotte Mason. She's actually from the 1800s, but I wasn't told that <laughs> during this conversation. And Charlotte Mason has really stood the test of time, a lot of her ideas and philosophies about education. But one thing that Charlotte Mason said was that kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. Wow. Whoa. I I had never heard of anything like that. And I thought it was ridiculous. Four to six. I'm like, who, first of all, who has four to six hours? Second of all, what are these kids going to do? I'm like, I'm constantly trying to entertain them and give them crafts and give them Play-Doh and take them to these things. And they last for 15 minutes. And then there's this huge mess that I have to pick up. I mean, my kids had never taken any focused attention for anything longer than a very short period of time. And so I thought, well, this idea, I mean, this is not an idea. This would not work. Who would ever do that? And then this friend of mine says, and I only thought those things, right, though, because you like trying to have friends. It's another dilemma of being a mom with young kids. You're struggling to have friendships. So I'm thinking in my head, this is ridiculous. And then this friend says, well, we should try it. And I was like, no, I I don't think we should try it. I don't think that's a great idea. But I said yes, just because she wanted to, and I'm trying to build relationships. And so back in 2011, it's been 12 years in the fall in Michigan, which is where we live. It's beautiful here in the fall. We went to a park, and this is a park that didn't have a play structure. It didn't have like a sandbox. It was just grass and a creek and ducks and some stones and things like that. So just very open space, shallow creek. And we went with just food and a picnic blanket. And I was expecting this to be the worst day. The kids are going to be whining and complaining that they're bored. There's nothing to do. And I tell people that it was actually the best day of my life. I deem it the best day of my life because it was the first good day I ever had as a mom. Wow. 
And I was in this situation where I just so desperately wanted to enjoy motherhood and I wasn't. And so we went to this park for four hours. And what happened was the kids just played and nature engaged them. And I had no idea that that could even happen. My friend had two toddler preschooler age kids, and so did I. We each had a baby. So our babies would nurse and sleep and sit on the picnic blanket and play in the grass. I got to have a conversation. I got to exhale. And it was the first time that like my blood pressure came down and I felt, I felt mothered. I felt like mother nature is there and mothering me. And our kids just ran around and they'd come back and get food. I don't even know what they did. And then at one o'clock, we packed up and the kids fell asleep, all of them. I had three of them at the time. It's like a miracle. They all fell asleep at the same time. And, you know, all of a sudden the day has passed and it was a beautiful day. Like we all felt refreshed and rejuvenated. And so that was the impetus, really the start of a life change for our family. And the last 12 years have been this deep dive into the research that shows that when we allow our kids to play freely outside, when they get to structure their play in large quantities, this helps them in every facet of their development, even their cognition. This is helping the neural wiring in their brains. This is helping their physical bodies in so many aspects, their eyesight, their sleeping at night, let alone the movement and their skeletal systems. This is helping their social skills, which are so important for the adult world, and it's helping them emotionally well, at the same time, it's helping us too as adults. So that's where it started way back when. Amazing. It's been a journey to get here. Uh, but here we are 12 years later, still living the same way where we are aiming to balance out nature time with virtual life and aiming to have a lot of hands-on experiences woven throughout childhood. And how, how do you manage now? Because like, obviously, like the 10,000 hours, like is your- Or 1,000 you, hours. You, or 1,000 hours. You are the 1,000 hours lady. And like, it came <laughs> out of the idea that it's like three hours a day. Spend at least three hours a day outside. Four to six when the weather's and try good. To, yeah, four to six when the weather's good. But 1,000 hours over a year as, you know, as a family, as much as you can. And how do you manage it now? Because like your kids obviously aren't preschool and they aren't- Teenagers. You don't have two years on three. You've got teenagers, which- like very often people are called screenagers, teenagers, screenagers, because, you know, life becomes quite screen. It becomes very screen orientated and very virtual and very, you know, they want their own phones and whatnot. And how are you managing now? Because it's easy when you take them on a, a trip. We're all going to go, you know, uh, uh, abseiling down a rock face. And this is this one thing and you pay 200 euro and you all go do it. And that's Great as a one-off event, but on a consistent basis, I find that challenging as getting older kids out. Oh, sure. Well, here's the thing that's so ironic. I think a lot of people don't take their little kids out because they think that's too hard. It's a lot of work. If you live in a place where there's winter and snow, you, you know, you're having to bundle them up. And when our kids were little, you know, they're three and one and a baby. Now we have five kids. But, you know, I'm like holding one here and this one's in a front pack and this one's in a backpack. And I'm having to push a stroller, too, with all the stuff that's puking over the sides. When they were little, it was hard. And when, you know, it's it's always hard. And I think a lot of times we look ahead and say, well, I'm not going to do this now because it's too hard. I'm going to wait till they're older. But you bring up such a good point. I think it's so important for families to know it does not get easier because life gets busier. It gets easier physically. I don't have to carry anybody anymore. They can all carry their own food and water. But life is busy and kids have things that 
they don't want to let go. They've got sports or they've got different clubs that they do. And so it is a challenge. That's why we have a goal. It is a challenge to balance out nature time with screens all the way throughout childhood. But the research is clear that the that the kids should be outside on average for three hours a day throughout childhood. So we're talking about your babies. We're talking about your kids that are about to go off to college. So what does that look like in our house? Actually, this has gotten really fun because our kids can do more. They have the stamina. They have the confidence. So we do a lot of meeting up with friends. We do short hikes. And as long as there's friends there, as long as they have some of their friends to converse with, they can shoot hoops. You know, we go to just different parks that have a playground, but they've got a basketball court set up. The kids will shoot hoops. They'll sit around the picnic table and just talk. We'll go on these different hikes together. And then sometimes we do what you're talking about. Like this past summer, we did whitewater rafting for the first time because our youngest is old enough now and we could go as a whole family. But there are so many things that are free, like in the um, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is where we live, there are these rocks, you know, you could climb up and you jump off into Lake Superior. Oh, so what's cool. happened is it's become so much fun, so much fun because we have laid that foundation. But even if you haven't, if you are starting off in the teen years and you're saying, look, my kids are on screens too much and I want to make a change, call up a friend, go for a bike ride. A bike to the ice cream shop, go for a walk in your city, walk to dinner, take your card games outside, take your homework outside. And you start to infuse that in. And my story, I think, is the same as a lot of people's stories. Try it once. Try it once. And what you see is that everyone benefits. And then you can try it again. So it works. As kids get older, they just kind of specialize, right? Maybe they want a skateboard. Maybe they want a mountain bike. You know, and it does. The expense definitely seeps in there but it doesn't have to because nature is engaging to all ages i love that and and how bad like i shouldn't say how bad but nowadays modern life there's so much time inside and many of us are raising our children and they want to be entertained all the time and like how how far have we come because like even when we were growing up back in kind of mid 80s early 90s you cycled everywhere you were just out you go go out no go out and then you come back for dinner and you were just outside and you see these pictures online of like wondering where your friends are. And there's like 10 bikes out and some or bicycles or whatever you call them <laughs> in someone's garden. And you could see where all your mates were. Like, what's the kind of state of play at the moment in terms of the US or any kind of stats of how bad it is in terms of kids spending time outside? Because I guess it's more the rare as opposed to the norm now. <laughs> the stats are so bad. They're so bad. So the, the stat that I have is from a book called How to Raise a Wild Child from Dr. Scott Sampson. And the stat says kids are on average outside for four to seven minutes a day, four to seven minutes, but they're on screens for four to seven hours. So this is abysmal. This is oh, kind of a mess. Word. The balance is so out of whack and and you see it. It's it, sadly you see the effects of it. Kids are struggling with their mental health. They're struggling with their social relationships and they are sad. This is such an important part to bring up that when you talk to, you know, the 20 somethings who are kind of the guinea pigs with all this and nobody really knew. I don't think anyone's ever been ill-intentioned. No one is trying to mess up their kids, but there's been just a lot of differing information out there. Does this really matter? And does it not? And the kids are saying, I lost my childhood. I lost it because everyone was on a screen. My parents were on a screen. My friends were on a screen. There was no one to converse with. There's no bikes outside. Nothing entices us outside because everyone's inside. And 
all we do is play video games and go to adult structured activities. And what that does is it hampers a child's confidence and ability to engage with a rapidly changing world. And that's what they're in. That's what we're all in. This thing is changing fast. It didn't used to. You used to graduate from high school. You could get a job and stay with it your whole life. But that doesn't exist anymore. So what we need for our kids is we need this open space for them so that they can to your point, learn how to entertain themselves, learn what makes them tick. And in the long run, that makes parenting easier anyways, doesn't it? One thing that we find fundamental to our health is really good footwear. And that's why we've partnered with Vivo Bear Foot Shoes. We've been wearing nothing with Vivo for the last seven years. They have a wide toe box, which toe box, which means you can fully spread your toes. Um, many modern shoes will actually constrict your toes, which will mean that you're more likely to develop bunions. Vivo Barefoot, you can spread them. You can increase the strength of your feet by approximately 60% in a matter of months. We love them. And because they're barefoot technology, you can actually feel and get more feedback from the ground that you walk on. Um, we have the same amount of nerve endings in our feet as we do our hands. Yeah, and really, if you think about it, your feet are the foundation with which your knees, your hips, and your whole spinal column sit on. So when you've got really strong, healthy feet, it really does encourage much more strength, health, and vitality within your knees, your hips, and your full stature. So I think it starts with your feet. We wear Vivo Barefoot Shoes. They're fantastic. Use the code HAPPYPAIR20 to get 20% off for the month of December. My eldest daughter's 13, and she'll often come to me and she'll say, I'm bored, and I'm like, say, that's great. Sit with it, figure out what you're interested in. And when you break through it, you'll be somewhere completely different, you know. And uh, like, Aww. I'd love your take on boredom because you've obviously done the research. This book has taken you 12 years to write. So I know you've really lent into boredom. Like boredom is 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 an important part of this it's journey. I love your response. I mean, that should be all of our response. You're bored? Well, that's great because something is going to come out of that. And that's when we're motivated to try new things and to figure out what we love. And if we never have a chance to be bored, we don't get that chance to figure out our in and to develop our inner resources. I love this quote from um, a man named Luis Fernando Yosa, who wrote a book called Beyond Winning, which is about like youth sports culture and how busy kids are with youth sports. It's a fantastic book. But he says, when our kids are bored, we have not failed. I'm like, we should put that up on the kitchen. I don't know, on the fridge or something, because we need that reminder. It feels like a failure, I think, in this day and age when we could overschedule our kids and put them in this and that. And it all seems so good. But when they're bored, we have not failed. We've actually really given them a gift because it's in those spaces where they learn agency and to make decisions and to figure out, you know, to start to figure out the path that they want their lives to take. Mm, yeah. and, and one word you you kind of, I guess, camp out on is, is the importance of unstructured play and the importance of unstructured because it's that unstructuredness that allows them to develop their own agency develop their own proactivity as a passive as opposed to passively being entertained and it also kind of helps them to adapt to as you said an ever-changing world mm -hmm. well we become this society that everything is structured by the adult and so what happens is you know a child goes from a, a, a day of school which is completely structured i used to be a teacher I mean, that thing is structured down to the minute. Otherwise, it rolls away from you and it becomes like this chaotic clown show. I mean, it has to be structured because you have a lot of kids and only one adult or two adults. So there's structure there. And then we're sending kids home with homework. 
that's adult directed that they are supposed to do. And that often we're taking them. I mean, I would know kids that they would be going to activities till 7 p.m. So they go from school, then they have homework, then they have gymnastics, then they have piano, then they come home. And that whole day is structured by an adult. Not to say that those activities aren't worthwhile. I think in their place they are. But when it takes the whole day, then what happens is we have kids that we send off to college or we send out into the world and they can't make decisions because they haven't ever made one. They've always been made by someone else. And I've talked to this college professor. Her name is Dr. Jean Twangy, And she wrote this phenomenal book called iGen about internet generation. She's this expert on the changes between the different generations. And she's a college professor. And she says that kids are coming to college and they can't even make simple decisions without texting their parents. And that is a result of having an entirely adult directed childhood and not those experiences like you're talking about where you just head outside, you take the bike, you go to where you see all the other bikes, you go to where you wanna go and you get practice at making decisions. That's such a good distinction that adults like that. It's, you know, ad, it's time that's structured by an adult like that. That's most of childhood. And it, like you said earlier, that we're almost robbing our children of our of their childhood. Mm -hmm. And it really seems that like, you know, in a, in a capitalistic society that we have nowadays, which is very like focused on success and getting more skills. So then someday you get a job and then somebody can buy a house and then you're successful and you've made it. Yet you're spinning so quick to kind of, you know, keep yeah. the whole show on the road. Yet like, and it probably comes back to like, it, it passes down. Like we pass these fears down to our children and go, well, you need to get ahead. Like you need to get ahead. Cause then when you get ahead, then you're going to get ahead of the next person. And then you'll be able to buy a house when you're <laughs> you know, whatnot. So, so I think it probably does come back to what you're saying that this over like scheduling is really important to have hobbies and cultivate interests. But like, how do you find the balance between that? Because obviously everyone who's listening, who's a parent wants to, wants the best for their children. They want to find that balance. They want to encourage play. They want to encourage imagination in their children. And yet we're all a product of this culture that really encourages us to be busy and consume. And that means like, I need a new hobby. I need a new sport. I need, little Jimmy needs to become like a, a runner and he needs to be able to do pull-ups as well. And he needs to be really good at maths as well because then he's going to get into high school. You know, there's all these pressures on one another. <laughs> it is. You know, I just think we're a little misguided. We're well-intentioned, but misguided because those types of things in excess they are actually hampering our kids for the world in which we live. And so this is why we have a goal. I and mean, this is why we have a goal for our 15-year-old son that he's supposed to get outside for a thousand hours every year. And so am I, because the hardest part is finding the time. That's the hardest part. The second hardest part is if you have little kids and you're trying to get their hands in the mittens. <laughs> That's the second hardest part. But, you know, the hardest part is saying, like, Am I going to set this time aside for my kids, for their development, for the sake of our family, for the sake of slowing down? And so we have this year-long goal because it overarches. There are hard seasons in life. That's figurative and literal. Depending on where you live, maybe you live in a place where it's scorching hot in the summer. And so you're limited. Or we live in a place where it gets really frigid in the winter. Or you have a time in your life where you're grieving. You have a job change. Your kid's in the school play and it's a little busier. It's the holidays. Whatever that is. But over the course of a year... We are aiming to balance out those virtual experiences with real experiences, and it works. It's just one of those things that is this simple, not easy, but simple solution to understand that has a very profound impact. 
when I say, look, I set out to weave this amount of time into a year, it enhances our lives in ways, really in untold ways, but also in research-backed ways too. You know, we're talking about the kids like, you know, they're going to have a stronger skeletal system and they're going to have a less chance of developing nearsightedness because when we step outside, that's the only time our eyes ever relax. There's a ring around our eyes. It's called the ciliary ring. And it's always flexed. It's flexed. Even when we're sleeping, it's flexed. And the only time that that ring around the eyes relaxes is when we have distance looking, people call it, right? So it's like we're not, we're outside and, and you can see further than 10 or 20 feet. And so these things are all happening while we're, while we're making memories and we're living a fuller life. So the, our strategy is to have this goal and and maybe it's not even just outside time but it's it's a goal for like analog living or a goal for this is time when our phone is put away when our screens are put away and we are interacting as humans as a family as friends and it is this real life component that has really gone by the wayside i think for our kids and for adults yeah, how do you Beautiful. manage? Like, uh, uh, your message is so important. How do you manage the proliferation of screens? Like, I know my daughter's now thirteen. I've kind of fought the battle where no smartphone yet. You know, but I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong. But we're there. I'm kind of a bit of a gendarme around the the remote control that goes missing normally Monday to Friday, and ah, oh, we find it at the weekend. But how do you manage, like, with your children? you know, access to screens and time outside uh, as well as structured things. How do you manage that? Because that seems like the perennial problem or one of the many challenges in I, your actually, house. I, yeah. Well, I think they say that is the biggest problem right now of parenting is dealing with screens. So we actually do ours really similar to you. We have boundaries. And I think a lot of like the Waldorf school does the same thing. It's exact same thing as you. It's no screens. I think from like Sunday night to Thursday night, because it really interferes with the schoolwork and even the discussions that happen within the school system. And I know, at least at some point, I don't know if they still do, but parents would have to sign a contract to say that their kids wouldn't be watching television from Sunday night. So we do the same thing. We have time where we allow it. So I can be a yes parent, right? So my kids would say, I want to play a video game or I want to watch this, whatever. And I say, sure, on Saturday morning, you know, yes, you can do that. This is when you can do that. And I think that works. It really, it just, all it does, it's not a brilliant plan. It just is a mirror of how things used to be. The way that things used to be when I was growing up was that there were natural boundaries to screen time. So the phone didn't exist. So you don't have that in your pocket. But beyond that, the programming itself did not exist. So you would wake up and, we, you know, where we live, it would be like there'd be cartoons. My parents didn't have cable television. So the cartoons and they would go on Saturday mornings, I think from like eight to noon. And then they were done. They were done. There was no way that you could watch another cartoon because it was over. And the parent did not have to be the bad guy there. The parent didn't have to be the one that sets that boundary. It was like society did it. And so things have changed. Now we have to be the ones that say, you know, on, at noon on Saturday or at 11, whatever it is that you do, we're down with screens. And I think that it's important to have hindsight and to think about our kids 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 
How are they going to look back on their childhoods? And I think we have to make decisions based off of that because kids are grieving. They are grieving what they have lost. They're grieving the fact that phones are everywhere, that they can't be themselves because they might be videotaped by a friend, that there's no one to play with. It's actually a really big deal. And I think when we look at it from that lens, it helps us to have more resolve. It's hard because all of it lies on our shoulders now and it didn't used to. Wow. That, like you speak so beautifully about it. Really, I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. Um, like a, a question which came to my mind, uh, which you said earlier, and I'm sure everyone listening like is going, yes, yes. A thousand hours outside. I'm game on. Like, and yes, the screens. I can totally relate to the challenges around it. And like you mentioned about tracking it. And like, obviously, a lot of people track, they track, they try to get 10,000 steps a day and they might track their water or they might count all sorts of different things. And like, is it a baggy, like you've been doing this for 12 years and you've been helping people with this for 10 years. So what is your advice between tracking it is like, because I saw on your website, you have nice kind of trackers that people can print out and whatnot. And do you, do you recommend that people color it in every day or come up with a plan at the start of the week? Or, or how do you, like, should people schedule it? Because like a habit needs to be, like if a habit's not there, it kind of, to form it, you need to be very intentional about it and actual schedule time in most people's busy lives. Otherwise it's unlikely to happen and Netflix or these type of things might corrode that free time instead. Okay, so we do actually keep track. And okay, for I've been writing for a decade and I would say for probably five years, for the first five years, most people, everyone, thought that this was the most outlandish idea, which I relate to because remember, I thought it was a weird idea too. So people are like, what are you doing? Why are you keeping track of how much time you spent outside? And I do it because then it doesn't fall by the wayside. It's out in front. So if we have a couple really busy days with sports or other extracurriculars, it's like, well, I'm going to make sure that this weekend we go on a long hike. Maybe we're going to take our dinner and we're going to eat it outside, that type of thing. So we have these tracker sheets and people do exactly what you said. They color in for one hour is one space. And there's all of these different ones that have been designed actually by families all over the world. Um, But they color in a space and that represents an hour. It could represent a half hour. You know, you could have a different goal. The point is not necessarily the number, although the number has some research backing to it. The point is about being intentional. And we always talk about how like this is like a, a thing that even if you fail, you win. People say this is the best challenge I've ever failed at because maybe they spent 700 hours outside in a year. Maybe they spent 600 or 450. That is so much life lived. And so what's happening, especially if you have older kids, you know, that are four, five, six and older, you are modeling to them a strategy for how to find balance in a world that is increasingly saturated with technology. So our goal is to live how we want to live first and then leave the leftover time for screens. That is the aim. And so we got that thing up there. We're coloring it in. We're celebrating. We're celebrating that because it is hard. It is hard to preserve that space for our kids. And so that's what those sheets are. And people do that. So in our family, 
talking about it being cumbersome or is it a pain? And for some people, it doesn't work. Like if it doesn't work for you and it makes you more stressed out, do not do it. You know, it's it's just a tool. That's all it is. But in our family, I've always just kept track of one person. And that's a person who goes outside the least, which was always my youngest because the youngest would have to be with mom. And actually, now that our youngest is seven, it's me. I'm the one that has the tendency to go out the least. My other kids are outside and they're shooting hoops and doing things like that. So some families, everyone has their own sheet. Some families, they keep track of it just the amount of time that the whole family is outside. And it's just an estimate. You know, we were out from one to three today and you color in a couple of the boxes. Some people keep track using a weather chart, which I think is fun. And it just turns out beautiful at the end. But it certainly is something to celebrate. And people will do cakes. They've made their kids trophies. When they hit the end, I saw a family that had blown their sheet up at an office supply store and it was on the wall and then everyone put their handprints on it for the end of the year when they hit their 1000 hours outside and it's one of those things that just becomes woven into the culture of your family and it changes the way you live already does i I, like i i remember growing up we used to just call over to the neighbor and go hey you coming out to play whereas nowadays there's a lot of i notice with my kids there's a lot of emphasis on organizing a play date and I kind of will mm-hmm. regularly push back like to say, Theo, and Theo, you're 10. Walk down to your friend. I am not texting his mother and organizing. Go down and call him. And if, he says he's, if his mom says he's not free, well, grand. But go down and call down. I, I wonder, like, is that the same in the States, that it's kind of society has moved to much more structured, much more organized, much more parent-led as opposed to... And like, much more scheduled because, oh, well, it's not on the calendar that, you know, your son is calling over to play with my son or whatever it might be, you know, so... Oh, I love this conversation because, <laughs> well, there's this concept, it's called promise versus peril. And a lot of people have talked about this. There's this man, Nicholas Carderis, who wrote a book called Glow Kids and then also Digital Madness, where he talks about this concept, but it's in a lot of books where... You look at the changes of technology and all we focus on is the new and the shiny and what can it do? And so, you know, we look at dishwasher, all of these new technologies that have come along. And so um, this man named Andy Crouch talks about how, you know, the dishwasher came along and he, but he, and so you're so excited because now you don't have to wash the dishes. But he said, before the dishwasher, I would stand, you know, shoulder to shoulder with my wife for 20 minutes after dinner and we would wash the dishes together and we would connect and it, it would be this thing that we do. And so this promise versus peril is this concept that you lose stuff. It's not all a gain. And so what a thing to have someone knock on your door. I mean, do you remember the excitement of that? You know, who's it going to be? Who wants to play with me? And I think it's important to talk about that that doesn't happen. In the States, it, and it's not happening on a regular basis. It's not happening. Kids are not going up to the neighbors and saying, is so-and-so home? Because everyone's inside or everyone's at these adult-directed activities. So I love I love that that's what you encourage because what a gift that is so fun to be wanted to have someone come and see if you're free and you don't even even like when phone calls. I mean, I remember pre caller ID. Now, who's calling? It might be my aunt saying we've got leftover lasagna. Do you want to come over for dinner? Yes, yes, yes. You know, but you just don't know. And so that element of surprise, the element of novelty is gone. And so I love that approach of just adding into it a little more suspense, like a little less schedule, a little more suspense. And, you know, definitely practically 
a lot of times we are having to say, you know, from three to five, we're free. But if you can just weave that in a little bit, a little bit more of that pushing the kid to just go down there and ask and don't text, I think that enhances life. And what it shows is there's power in one family. There's power in one family. If you are the one that are is willing to step out and do that in your neighborhood, you can change the whole dynamic of that neighborhood. If you can, you know, have your kids playing out in the front, then that's going to entice other kids out. One of the biggest problems is there's nothing to entice anyone out anymore. There's no kids out there. And so everyone just resigns and, you know, they go back to their screens inside because that's there and that's available. So I think that by being the one to do it, by going first, you know, you give everyone else a gift to join in with what you're doing. So I love the idea. Go knock on the neighbor's door and see if they're free. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, like I'd say, a lot of people listening here, they live in cities or they live in towns and they go, oh, that's grand for you. You live in Michigan out in the woods and there's ducks and there's fields and the kids and can just creeks, run feral and creek, whatever. Creek and I think straight. back to we grew up, we used to walk across a, a goat field going to school and there wasn't as many cars and it was it was a lot easier. We used to cycle, you know, to the rugby club and the tennis club from the age of 10, whereas now you'd kind of worry about your kids because there's so many cars in the streets and the bike lanes aren't great. And like, there's a lot of excuses now that you can go, oh no, we can't, we can't or whatever. Like, what advice would you give to people that live in towns and cities and might kind of go, well, that like, it's not suitable for me. It's too dangerous. And it's what, like, like, that's a really question I'd love you to answer. But I mean, it's a good question. And it's a question that a lot of people answer, ask, and they ask, you know, yeah, I live in a city. So here's what I say. And there is a man named Dan Butner. Who oh, has we know him well. He's zone. been on this podcast a couple of times. Yes, yeah, Dan, so great, right? He's talking about people living to be into their hundreds, the centenarians. So everyone who's listening has already heard him and they know what he has to talk about. So he says one of your most important things, like if you can make the decision, he says live in a walkable area. So actually, that's your cities, right? You can walk to the restaurant. You can walk to the grocery store. You can walk to the library. So in each of these different circumstances, there are pros and cons. If you live in the city, you have a lot of things that you can walk to. And I do think we live in a day and an age where the parents need to get outside too. So this has changed and we're not so much in this era where we shoo the kids out the door. We have to go too. We are saturated with technology as well. So if it feels like it's not safe, go with your kids or make sure they have a gaggle of kids to go with themselves, right? So you in the city, there's birds, there's trees, there's often there's playgrounds I and mean, my brother lives in brooklyn new york so there's different side playgrounds i get different blocks so we've gone there with our kids and been able to walk to some different things so the pros are you have places to walk to there's things that you can go out in your area and do the cons are you might not be able to send your kid by themselves and there might not be as much green space if you're in a neighborhood the pros are there's going to be kids there's possibly a lot of other kids that you could go knock on their door or you could talk with your neighborhood and see, are, can we get these kids outside? But what you don't have is what Dan Buettner talks about is a walkable place. You don't have, you know, the library that you could walk to or the post office or whatever that is. You don't have that. So everything's happening in the neighborhood. If you live on a farm, you're out in the country. Here you've got space to run wild, but there's no kids you don't have neighbors. And so the kids, they don't want to go outside unless there's friends. So there's pros and cons 
I hear a lot of people who say, I moved to the country so that my kids would play outside, but they don't. And that's true because there aren't any other playmates out there to entice them to join in on the fun. And so no matter where you live, there are benefits and there are negatives as well. And I don't think that there's a perfect solution. It's just about trying to figure it out what works in your area, maybe here and there incorporating like if you live in the city, could maybe once a month, maybe you could get out of the city and go visit a farm or go to the woods. And if you live in the woods, then you got to go to the city so that you can do some walking around and, and the hustle and the bustle, that type of thing. So it's about figuring out what works for where you live at the moment and your situation. And, you know, you're you're working, you're busy. So that might be your time outside is happening for 45 minutes after school where you stick around at the playground for a little bit with a bunch of other kids or on the weekends you go on a family hike or you go camping once or twice a year it looks different for every family but i think that's a really cool part of it right like it makes our lives unique it's great advice it really is to customize it to what works for you and where you are because it really has to be it has to be very loose and flexible depending on where whoever's listening. And also, as you start to explore your neighborhood, you find all sorts of things that you never even knew existed. Like, it was like, yeah, we, we, we lived in our little town for 40 years. Like, we lived there for 40 years. And the other day, someone showed me this beautiful chestnut tree that was in this new housing estate, but it overlooked the sugar loaf, which is like a little mountain, as the sun was setting. And it was like, it was just, it's such this beautiful little magic spot that I'd never seen before. And we'd lived in this town for 40 years. And I was like, oh my. Oh my God, wow. I'm definitely having picnics up there, having dinner up there. So Where is it? I'm not going to tell you. I'll show you. <laughs> okay, deal. Just in case others start to use it. Uh, okay, I was, I, there was there's something I heard you say, which I thought was brilliant. You know, it was in it was in relation to helicopter parenting and over kind of over scheduling our kids and encouraging our kids to become overachievers and whatnot. And it's kind of this idea of like, you know, you've got a kid that's really good at something. So you've got to say it's swimming, for example, and you've got to bring them to swimming lessons at five to seven in the morning. And, you know, when you do this for a number of years and they become really good at it. And you talked about the importance of parents having their own interests because kids mm -hmm. will leave the home at some day. Like they're going to leave the home and you're going to be left there going, oh, well, I spent my whole kid's childhood standing at the side of a football pitch or a swimming pool. And what, what am I interested in the importance of as a parent to have your own interests? And I think that's such an important thing that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Mm -hmm. Well, there's that piece of it, right? One piece is that you're lost. So your kids, they leave the home and you're lost. The other piece of it, which is a piece I love, Linda Flanagan wrote about it in her book called, I think it's called Taking Back the Game, which is also about youth sports. And she says, how are we presenting adulthood? And I think it's such a deep question. Like she says, we're presenting adulthood like it's a big bore. It's super boring. It's like you spend your childhood and you got these friends and you've got these teens and you're doing all these things and you're swimming and you're competing. And then what? And then you just sit on the sidelines for 60 years? I mean, I think it's actually a valid point. How are we presenting adulthood? And so she really advocates for missing it. Miss a lot of the stuff. Don't go to every single thing. Go to the big game. Go to the championship. You know, support your kids, sure. But also cultivate your own interests and your own friendships so that kids have this innate understanding that there's a lot to look forward to. And people, you know, they talk about like the glory days. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like life can be great all the way through. You can do really fun, exciting, fulfilling things all the way throughout your life. And I think part of being an adult, an adult is 
communicating that to our kids through the way that we live. So there's a couple pieces there. And I do love that. That definitely changed my mind. Like I've started to bring along like my own fiction books. And I, you know, I have like a, I mean, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like a grandma, but I literally have like a sewing cross stitch kit in my purse. And some people will, they'll, you know, they'll go, their kids are playing. They're going to do a workout right on the side of the playground, or they're going to go on the playground and do their own pull-ups or whatever like that. So it's something about cultivating your own life. And I think in that way, it does enhance our kids' lives too. Yeah, I and think it gives it's, them a good example. Well, I think it's we're, we're essentially apes. Like we are evolved apes with bigger brains, and we we model one another. Like we're monkeys. We're evolved monkeys that kind of monkey see, monkey do. Like I don't follow what you tell me to do. I follow what you literally <laughs> do. Like if you sit there on your phone all day, I'm gonna want to look at my phone all day. So yeah. like if whereas if you're an adult or parent that's got a really exciting life and you're full of joy and full of love the likelihood is that your kid's going to model you in those ways. Whereas if you're a stressed, overbearing, strict parent, like, you know, as you said, it's not going to be very attractive. You know, the kids want mm -hmm. to become Peter Pan rather than, um, you know, well, well, grown up. Become well, well. I, I wonder one thing, Ginny, that I'd love to talk about is often parents want their children to be really productive and want them to be really good at school and really good at sports. And as Dave mentioned, that term helicopter parenting. I wonder if mm -hmm. you could talk about the importance of play because it's often forgotten and it's an unstructured play. Like I know you spoke about how important it is for helping navigate uncertain times and helping learning to be more proactive, but even play itself, how important it is for cognitive function or just like as the a, research on it, because I know you've done tons of research for your new book that is like, you know, even the, the subtitle for the book is all about play, like the importance of this word called play, because play in a sense is like most of us as adults are trying to get into this flow state and essentially play is the epitome of flow state because a kid like is just lost in the moment and play like some imaginary games. So. Isn't it interesting? Like the kids are so good at it. They're like experts at it. What's going on when kids play? Oh, there's a lot going on. But one of the things that's happening, and it seems so frivolous, but one of the things that's happening is they are really enhancing their social skills. So especially if they're playing with another child, even if they're playing alone, though, they're they're coming up with something out of nothing. And it is this big old situation of negotiation and compromise. So even if we look at it like play in terms of pickup sports instead of adult directed sports, when we had like a little baseball field growing up in our neighborhood and it was so run down, but all the kids would meet up there and you have to figure out. Well, today when there's seven kids, what's going to be the rules? And today when there's 11 kids, how do we change this? And because kids love to play and they have this intrinsic motivation, they don't want to hurt their friends and they want to compromise because they want everybody to still play. If there's all this fighting and screaming and we hurt this kid because we're too rough, it all ends in all of that work that we've put in to the rules and the negotiation and the imagination. It's all gone. And Kim John Payne says, He's the author of Simplicity Parenting. He says the primary predictor, which is such a huge statement. I mean, okay, so the statement is the primary predictor of success and happiness in life. Okay, so this is what we want, right? As parents, we want to know what is the primary. It's not productivity. It is not grades. It is not excelling in sports. It is the ability to get along with others. So that's one expansive benefit of play kids cannot learn how to get along with others and the nuances of social relationships when they're sitting at a desk 
when they're being told what to do, when there's a helicopter parent who's swooping in at every point to say, don't do this. Now you do this. Say you're sorry. Like they're not learning that. So there's that piece of it. If we're talking about lifelong engagement, play facilitates social skills in a way that nothing else can. Okay, we've got that piece. Also, what about cognition? So there is this amazing statistic from this woman named Dr. Carla Hannaford, who is in her 80s. She didn't learn to read till she was 10 years old. So there's some hope for you parents if your kids are struggling. Now she's a PhD and she's totally fine. She said it wasn't even a big deal at all when she was growing up. She didn't learn to read till she was 10. And she has this statistic in her book called Smart Moves, which is about learning and movement and how they're related, where she says elderly people who dance regularly so this is fun, right? We're getting older. We're going to dance regularly. She says they have a 76% less chance of developing dementia. 76% less. 76%. And the reason is because when we move in complex ways, often when we're in that flow state as kids, right? And they're cartwheeling and they're somersaulting and they're rolling down hills and they're climbing trees. When we move in complex ways, it enhances and protects the neural wiring that's in our brains. So we're talking about productivity. I don't think that there's anything more productive than helping your kids' brains work better and then protecting that for the long haul. And that is what's happening when our kids play. You know, there's really cool studies out of NASA says something like, 98% of kindergartners test at genius level creativity. Genius. You know, and then it ends up going to, you know, I don't know, just they all lose it. They lose it by the time they're 12, 13, certainly by the time they're 30. Hardly anybody tests at that anymore. And so I think play seems frivolous, but it's such a worthwhile use of our kids' time. It's and it's a use of you brought that up too. It's a worthwhile use of our time being in flow and and having that downtime for your brain. But for our kids, this is productivity. It is. And it's one of those things like the eyesight, you know, the skeletal system. Katie Bowman says osteoporosis is a childhood disease that shows up in adulthood because our kids are not getting load-bearing activities and they're not jumping and landing, they're just sitting. And so it's not building their skeletal system. So this is productivity and it's productivity that spans decades. And I think that's why it's important to know about it. It is hard to do. It is hard to set aside that time. We have to push against fear that we're not doing enough. And that's why for me, I continue to read about it because it's easy to get pushed into, no, you should be signing up for this thing. You should be signing up for that thing. Oh, your kid's falling behind. But I have to remind myself of the value of what seems frivolous, but is very productive. Well, it, well, it, it makes a lot of sense because I look at like the adult life where we are, it's productive, productive, productive. But as everyone, like as when you go a little bit bigger, it's having more space in your day, a little bit more space to exhale and to actually take yeah. your time you're generally going to be much more likely to reach these states of flow and not be a busy fool, you know, with your ladder against the wrong wall, you know, busy climbing the ladder, yeah. but it's realizing it's on the wrong wall. Whereas when there is that actual space, that time, we tend to be much more 
productive in it. Like, like, and it makes me even think that the adult world, like, you know, we've all designed these games of capitalism and made up money and economies and jobs and all this kind of thing. And you're going, oh my God, like if only a kid had designed these, it would be a lot more fun because well, like kids, fun and play are so synonymous together. Whereas we use these words as adults, like work and jobs and careers. And they're like, they're quite serious. Whereas essentially we are just grown up kids in older bodies that are, have these different <laughs> words and these different social structures with which in which we interact, which you know, in many cases, don't necessarily lead to as much joy as climbing trees mm -hmm. and horsing around. But even know. climbing on the topic of climbing trees, like uh, one of my kids had a party recently, and um, I was amazed that how few of them could actually climb the tree. It was like, oh my god, mm. have kids forgotten how to climb trees? And it's like, oh yeah, because they don't live in houses with big trees anymore because there's not as many around and they're not outside and they're not just climbing them. So it could... And they're not allowed. I think yeah. that's a piece too, which is, you know, this whole piece is, is that part of our life, part of our purpose is to learn how to assess risk. I mean, this is what's happening during childhood is you, that's why you're close to the ground and you fall and you get little scrapes here and there. Maybe you break a bone. But you're learning what your body can and can't do. And risk is this calculation of how dangerous is it in combination with how likely is it to happen. So, you know, for young kids, we don't let them play by a body of water with no supervision because it's very dangerous and it's very likely that something catastrophic could happen. But, you know, climbing to the bottom rung of the tree when they're tall enough, that's not very dangerous. And yet we're stepping in. And we're not, I mean, we have been so many places where, you know, they come out and you're not allowed to be, there's a big sign, you know, you're not allowed to be on the tree, can't climb the trees. And there are trees like apple trees and, and certain trees where the, those branches are low. And so the kid learns in stages what their body can and can't do. And the parent learns in stages to let their kid learn those things so that in time, they can do what you said they're not doing, which is get up in there and, and get higher because they have confidence in their body and their body has done it in the past. Yeah, I often quite enjoy, like, if there's a tree there, I'll climb up high and the kids will get afraid for me. And it's like, come on, get over it. Like, <laughs> I've climbed loads of trees. I feel safe. And it's not that I'm yeah. trying to push the boundaries, but it's like, I guess they live in a society where there's more rules than that. But okay, a couple of things I'd love to uh, start landing this is like a thousand hours, like it's become a global movement. It's become a lot more than like, I look at your Instagram page and it's hugely engaged and your podcast and like you are really positively influenced and your new so book. many people. Well, your new book, of course, is obviously it's the icing on the cake. But if you could talk about the two things, like that it has become a movement. What's it like? Are there meetups with different people encouraging other people? And then about your new book, like what it, the, the, the title of Until the Streetlights Come On is, it's a really cool title and what inspired it? So two questions there. I mean, it's been, this has been awesome because I get to meet you. <laughs> uh, what a thing. I had no idea. I had no idea. You know, you start writing. I started writing a decade ago just because this was an answer for me and I had been struggling so bad as a mom. And I thought maybe this is an answer for someone else. We spent two years being outside for about a thousand hours every year and and not running into any other kids. And so I started to write about it. And like I said, it took a very long time for it to catch on. I continued to write because it continued to work. And here's what happens. Now I get to hang out with you. And so I highly encourage to stick with it. If there is something that has changed your life, that you're interested in, that you're passionate, that makes you tick, you stick with it because you never know the circles and, and how things are going to intertwine. And you have all these things. And I just had the coolest experience 
uh, our book was coming out and um well my new book this until the streetlights was coming out and i was you know i'm nervous about it i'm like i'm just a normal mom that's got like like laundry and i don't know what's for dinner and that's just my daily life and you know i've got this book coming out and so many people have released books it's not like that big of a deal but i was nervous and you know it's book company and are they going to be disappointed and how is it going to do and it simultaneously happened when we hit 5 million podcast downloads and so I was like, okay, just trying to figure out like, you know, how do we celebrate that? And so I thought, well, there's this um, company called We Carry Kevin. It's a nonprofit and they make backpacks for disabled people uh, who are maybe not, you know, they're not toddlers anymore. They're adults or they're older kids. And it allows other people to carry them and to go on adventures. And so we decided we were going to donate five backpacks for hitting this 5 million podcast downloads. And so we called the the guy that runs it, Kevin, and um, his friends have taken him on adventures, you know, across the world in this backpack. And he grew up um, mostly in a wheelchair. And so this has been so, like, cool for him to connect with these people and for them to connect with him and all this. So anyways, I called and, you know, we'd like to do five backpacks. And it turned out that it was within those five backpacks, it was their thousandth backpack that they were giving away. And I thought, like, what a cool thing that the thousandth backpack is coming from 1000 hours outside. And what a, like a marriage of, you know, of missions. And so it's been like that the whole time. It's been like that. You know, there's hard parts. I think anytime you put anything out into the world, there's going to be people that don't like it. There's going to be people that don't like you. And also there are, things that happen that actually remind me of the bike story, which is, or, you know, you, you're going to your neighbors and it's, it adds suspense. You just don't know where it's going to go. You're going to go knock on someone's door. Maybe they're going to be free. Maybe they're not. And when you do things, and I'm sure you guys have found this so much with your podcast, then you connect with all these people you would have never imagined, you know, across the world that you get to connect with. So um, I think being an entrepreneur is so much more than I ever imagine that it would be it's so much more than the one thing it's it's enhancing and it's uh it's your circles are intertwining with everyone else's and it's just been really remarkable the book uh, came out two weeks ago in mid-november until the streetlights come on it's a title i've had in my heart for seven or eight years just in talking with people who reminisce about their own childhoods and i think it's important that we take the parts that we reminisce not every part but the parts that we reminisce on the parts that we say that we loved and changed us and try our best to make sure that our kids get those two especially now in the world that we live in, where they're going to have a lot of different careers. They probably are going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, the percentage of kids now that are going to be entrepreneurs is so high. Kim John Payne says 75%, three out of four. And so they're going to have to be able to structure their own lives in a way that leads them to success and happiness and fulfillment. And I think the answer to that lies in play. Wow. 75% entrepreneurs. That's a big, that's, we've got to start cultivating, you know, Autonomy. very resilient, Autonomy. very resilient, creative, yeah. well, resilient first and foremost and creative because problem solving is at the root of entrepreneurism in my experience. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. you're amazing, Ginny. You really are. You're such a... You're a powerhouse. You have a really intoxicating way of talking that I could just sit there and go, oh, it's like sitting here feeling the sunshine on me. It's wonderful. It really is beautiful to listen yeah, to. Yeah, you're a, you're a beacon thank of you. hope for the world. So thank you for thank everything you. you do. Really do. And we wish you... Ab like, we wish nothing but the best and we blow nothing thank but you. 
positive winds into your sails and your book Until the Streetlights Come On I love the name it really essentially means that play until the streetlights come on get outside kids adult kids included and uh, yeah. play until the streetlights come on and the book it's out two weeks it's really um, you know I've gone through it and it's really really impressive you know all the topics that you've covered yeah. today you go into much more detail and there's tons of research in there it really is um, science backed so it's not just half-baked ideas well thank you I and mean, this has been an absolute honor I just love it I love your whole vibe the whole thing the, the matching the microphone the backdrop <laughs> what a gift this has been an absolute blast thank you so much for having me yeah, well, thanks, Ginny. You're a star, and best luck. We'll both be on our ten thousand or our thousand hours. We'll be tracking it from here on. Thank you so much. Cheers, you're a darling. Bye, have a great day. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Ginny. Cheers, Ginny. Mind yourself. Bye. <laughs> bye. 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 bye.